Get your Bibles open, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As I talked about this, it leads into what I want to talk about tonight. I, I feel led tonight, and I was praying about it coming back from conference, to preach the message I preached at conference. Some of you might have seen it. Uh, I know some stayed after service and watched it. If you have heard it already, sometimes you can get something the second time that you didn't get the first time. But you know, for the last six months to a year, I've been preaching heavily on the end times and where we're at in our walk with God, where we're at in the scale of the, of the watch um, in the heavenlies and in the Bible times and, and where we're at uh, with everything that's going on in the world. And so I really, really labored, not only in studying, but in spirit of prayer for this conference because it's always hard to preach. It's an honor. I had the honor and at the same time the fear of opening up the conference on that Wednesday night. And that's a humongous pressure, but it is an honor at the same time, and so it's a mixed feelings. I've preached night services before and, and everything, but I, I told my wife the whole time I was fighting and fighting and fighting because I felt the Lord wanted me to preach this message, but the devil was fighting me on it. And that's always a good thing because when the devil fights you, you know it's God trying to speak through you and wanting you to preach it. And finally, I had, I've been studying, as you know this, for, for 20 years, but I've really picked it back up strong in the last year. And I, and I can say this without boasting, I've spent hundreds of hours studying these end times things and specifically what I'm going to talk about tonight. And uh, I have all the information, but when God finally, you know, was telling me to preach about this and I finally said yes, then I got a peace. But that was like Wednesday morning of the conference. So I was pretty miserable. We, me and my wife and daughters left Sunday night and drove to Colorado Springs and, uh, the, you know, hung out with uh, some of the pastors and just fellowship a little bit. But I was pretty, you know, not there because I was nervous. When I finally said, okay, Lord, I'll do it, then it was a matter of trying to bring everything together with so much information in a, you know, 45-minute message and to get it out to where everybody could understand. And I praise God. I got a lot of good feedback, and I thank God that a lot of people heard some things they'd never heard before. But I say this because some of our pastors were getting up, and this is a struggle we all have in our fellowship, and it's around the world. We get people saved like crazy around our fellowship, and especially our home church. I mean, they see hundreds of people saved every month. We preach the gospel. We give altar calls, as you see, every service. We ask for salvation for those that don't know the Lord. People are always coming in. We're doing outreaches. And a lot of times we see people come in and they make a decision, but the hardest thing is to get them from a, from a decision to a true conversion experience to a true discipleship, as you see on our wall, People get lost between the evangelism and the discipleship. And I really felt like as many pastors got up and gave their reports and said, hey, we've seen these people saved and we've seen this, but we, man, we're just having such a hard time getting them to stay. And I really believe that what I'm going to talk about tonight and what I've been talking about and the end times series and message and, and, and what the Bible says about it is the way we stay ready. Because when we're preaching about the, the end times of, of this world. And again, I've said this before. You don't have to be a Christian to know that we're in the end times. The world knows something's going on. Right. Movies are out. People are talking about it. There's, you don't have to even be a believer. The world feels like something's going on. And so we know the Bible has everything already written out. 
I've showed you many signs, showed you many scriptures, but I wanted to preach this to the home church. And I began to ask the Lord that I needed something concrete to really get people to understand what all this meant. And I believe the Lord showed it to me. So if you are taking notes, a good note message, um, write this down. I want to talk tonight about the triumphant bride of Christ. The triumphant bride of Christ. Quickly, as we get into this, we'll read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in just a second. I want to share this because it was part of the message, and I won't take long on it. You know I like to play basketball, and you know I like to try to share my faith when I'm, when I'm playing, and uh, God gives, has given me a, a grace for that. I thank God none of the guys were here this morning, I was kind of, well, except Brian, I was kind of hoping they'd be back, but God's allowed me to lead people to the Lord on the basketball court, sharing my faith. And the other day I was playing. Many of you heard this. Some of you haven't. And I, some guys came up to me after we played, and they were like, man, you're, you know, you play good. Did you play somewhere? And short talk, we were talking, and I began to share Jesus with them and had a shirt on that said, in Jesus' name, I play. And it just kind of is an opportunity to open up the door. And quickly these guys began to talk to me. Oh, yeah, we just came from a Bible study. We just talked, you know, we just came from church. And I was like, oh, that's good. Then he whipped out his phone and he began to show me a verse in Revelations where it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And it was interesting that this happened when everything I was studying on, it was just a God thing. So he says, Hey, what does this verse mean? And, and immediately I sensed something was wrong when he began to ask me that because when you're talking to a fellow believer, you know, you're not trying to uh, talk doctrine with him at that moment. You, you know, if I meet someone that says they're a believer, then I say, Hey, praise God. And we move on. If they're not a believer, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. But all of a sudden, he whips out his phone, starts showing me these verses, asking me these questions, and I just sensed that he was trying to do something. Long story short, he began to try to tell me. He told the name of his denomination, or whatever it's called, worldwide, whatever he said, how many churches they had and all this. And he said, we, uh, he asked me, who's the bride? And I said, we're the bride, the church. And then he says some other questions. And what he did, long story short, was he tried to get me to see in a couple scriptures that there is a woman Godhead. And there's no woman Godhead in the Bible. Okay, but he took me to all these different verses trying to... Then he, then he went later and said that we're already all the way at the end of the book of Revelations, Revelation. And he said some other things. I can't even remember everything he said. But I got him back to Jesus said, you know what really matters, because I wasn't going to sit there and argue with him, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and he saved us. And I don't remember all the things that happened, and that we finally you know, parted ways, but I say all that to say this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3 to 5, it says the days we're living in, that there will come a day that people will not endure sound doctrine. It means there's all kinds of, you can take scriptures and you can twist them a little bit and twist them this way and change things a little here. And we're living in a day that God proclaimed what happened thousands of years ago. Jesus said it. Paul said it. All through the Gospels they said it. There'll come a day when they will not endure sound doctrine. There's things that are fundamental to our faith. There's things that we stand upon and that we, we understand. We get a doctrine from the whole Bible. Okay, you don't get a doctrine from a verse. You cannot make a doctrine out of a verse. And I've given this example for anybody who's here and new or, or, or haven't heard me teach on the Bible. I could say I worked with kids for many, many years. And I could say, hey, there's only kids are going to heaven. 
Bible says, suffer little children, let them come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. Or Jesus said, if you don't become as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I could take that verse out of context, and I could make a doctrine out of it and say, only kids are going to heaven. How many are following what I'm saying? You can't take a verse and make a doctrine out of it. A doctrine is a fundamental belief, taking the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and then grabbing them all together, putting that puzzle together, and saying, this is a truth. This is a truth. This is something we don't, you can't mess with. Okay? And so, when you begin to talk about the end times, and you begin to talk about scriptures saying what's going on today in the year 2014, you have to take all the Bible together. You have to take the full gospel, the whole counsel of God, pull it together, and understand that when Jesus was talking in the scriptures, he was talking to more than one people. Okay? How many are following me so far? Let's read this real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Say amen if you're there. We're going to look at verse 13. The comfort, it says in my Bible, of Christ's coming. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep. The Bible says that who has died in Jesus. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many believe that here tonight? Just make sure we're all on the same page. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep again, those who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, and that's a good thing to underline in your Bible, those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. That's not sleep, that's dead in Christ. 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And watch this. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Now, underline that. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. And then it says, comfort one another with these words. For 2,000 years, the church, the bride of Christ, has been looking, watching, and waiting for Jesus to come back. For 2,000 years. Now, this is super important because we have been talking about this. I can't go into everything we've been talking about, but many of you know where we're at and what we've been talking about and where we're at in the scriptures and where we believe we are in the time frame of the end times and the book of Revelation. And we have to understand tonight that there's something that shows us a truth and a proof of what is going to happen. Go quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I know that many of you have heard it. This is one of the biggest verses that people will use for marriage. Okay, it talks about respect and love your husbands and respect your husbands and love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I've used this many, many times in marriages. And it's, it's one of the best, most clear scriptures in the Bible about marriage and how we're supposed to treat each other and everything. But there's something hidden inside these scriptures that is very important. And it, and it goes down, I told you everything it was saying there, where it says, let's just look at 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, okay? That he might present 
her to himself a glorious church. So we know right there he's not talking. He's, he's talking, this is an example, to two people. Who's he talking to? One is he's talking to husbands and wives. Two, he's talking to the church. How many see that? That is very important in end times teaching to understand that when Jesus is talking, he's talking to more than one person. More than, he's, he's a God that his, he transcends time. I said this morning that when he said, I see Satan falling from heaven, he wasn't just talking about a future Satan falling from heaven or a past falling from heaven or even a present. It was all of them. And then you have to know how to know when he's telling, when, where, and why. How many are understanding me? So here he's, we use this for, for, the, for the bride and we use this for the groom. But we tonight understand through the scriptures that the groom is Jesus Christ. The bride is the church. You and I. Now, that, one of those weird things for us men. We really like to be called the bride because we're men. But we're the bride. Okay? We're not picturing ourselves in a, in a dress, but we're the bride. It's a little easier for you ladies because you are brides. But we as a church, men and women, are the bride of Christ. Amen. He's the groom. Okay, is that clear? It's very important for this. He's the groom, we're the bride. Okay, so in this he's saying uh, that he's going to wash us as a church, we're a glorious church. And then down quickly in 32 he says this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Okay, he says, this is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So when he's talking about this, the Christ and the church and, and the great mystery, it leads us to what we just read and, and 1 Corinthians says, same thing, the word mystery. And so all this thing is talking about the end of times and what God is going to do for us and what he's already done for us and how he's going to come for us. Now, I'm going to break this down simply. Go to Titus chapter 2 with me real quick, giving you a quick foundation. When you talk about judgment, we understand that, and I can't take the time on this, but I'm doing it for tonight just for a few that may not understand exactly where we're at. It's simple. We're sinners. All of us. Romans 3.23 says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? All of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every single one of us in here is a sinner. We're lost. We're on our way to hell. And we need Jesus. Okay? Just to make it quick and easy. That's all of us. None of us in here, no matter how good or bad you are, is any different in God's eyes. We're all lost. We were born in sin. I preached that last week at in in, in Easter. Thank God Jesus came to die for us. But now we understand before Christ, we didn't understand this, but now we do, that there is a judgment coming. This judgment here is not for those who believe in Christ. But there is going to be a judgment for the Christians as well. Don't have time to get into that. But we're going to give account for our deeds. Not for our salvation. But there's something that God planned as, as he died and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And he, he said these words and the Bible was written that we were understanding that at any moment and at any time, Jesus could come back for us. If you're taking notes, write the word down, imminent. It's a key to what I'm talking about tonight, the triumphant bride of Christ. Because we have to understand that God was always saying, I want you to be ready. It's not that I get my ticket of salvation, accept Jesus, put it in my pocket, and just go on the way I was before. He says, I want you to be a church. I want you to be a bride that is keeping herself for me. Keeping herself clean, walking in holiness, walking in righteousness. Titus 2 tells us that. If you're looking at it, it says in verse 11, For the grace of God brings salvation that has appeared to all men. 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for the what? Blessed hope. Somebody say blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So how many can see from that verse that it's not just accept Jesus Christ and just do your thing? There's something that it's not that we are talking about works to be saved. Because we don't that's not that's not what we're saying. We're saved by grace. But he's saying here, now that you've accepted me and now that you're saved, I need you to walk worthy. Now watch this, worthy of being married to a king. Are you getting that? Again, I I know the male-female thing here. I'm I'm not worried about it. I know I'm a man. It can seem kind of weird if you want to flip around, however you got to do it. But we're going to be married. And if I was going to be, if I had to throw it in there from my mind, queen, okay, Jesus is not a queen. But you get what I'm saying. We are setting ourselves apart. We'll talk more for the women. Bride, if you knew you were going to marry a king, a king, the king, and this isn't just a king, it's the king. How would you live? Would you live worthy of the fact that the king had chose you? The king. Not just a royalty or a person. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. So he's saying there's a way we should live. How many are following me so far? I didn't get very many amens, but I'll just trust you. So the Bible prophesies to us all through the scriptures that things are going to come to a head. That at one moment, the Bible prophesies there's going to come a time on this earth different than any other time in the scriptures. There's always been persecution. Okay, always. God said in his word there would come a time of tribulation that will come upon this earth. And it's prophesied in the scriptures. And if you begin to read the book of Revelation, and if you have, I remember when I first got saved and I began to read the book of Revelation, it scared me a lot. Especially when you get 6, 7, 8, get up 13, 14, 15, it'll scare you. Many don't understand it. It takes lots of studying. And so some people don't study it. But it's almost like saying, hey, there's an earthquake that's going to happen next week. And because you don't like earthquakes, you just act like you're not going to happen. But guess what? That earthquake's going to happen. Right. Or a tornado. Or a tsunami. Or whatever. And you can just kind of out of sight, out of mind it all you want. But guess what? It's going to come. Right. And that's what the Bible prophesies. God is such a graceful God that he's always telling us a warning. He's always talking to us and saying, hey, here comes the, rail- here comes the train. Get off the tracks. So to speak. How many are following me? And so he's always, he's prophesying all throughout the Bible. You've got the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah. You've got Zephaniah, Obadiah. You've got the minor and major prophets. Uh, Jeremiah preaching, Ezekiel preaching the future, preaching, preaching, preaching. Now we're in the New Testament and all the New Testament is fulfilling what the Old Testament said over and over again. It's bringing all those things that were spoken and fulfilling those things. And that's where we're at. And in this day we live in, you don't have to look around too much to realize some crazy stuff's going on. I'm not going to mention president. I'm not going to mention presidents' names. I'm not going to mention leaders around the world. We all know what's going on if you live in outside of a cave. 
We live in a crazy world. Sin is abounding. We live in a place and a time where these scriptures are now popping off the pages. They're not just coming every once in a while. When I started studying this 20 years ago, there were certain things you could see. Now, I can't keep up with all the things that are happening in the end times. It's hard. It's like you're just grabbing it and trying to file it. That's how quick and accelerated this thing is happening. So we are at this place where we have to understand the judgment of God is coming upon this earth. How many understand that? Now you can say, well, I really don't want to, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to hear that. Well, you better hear it. Okay? But, watch what, don't go there for time. I'm going to run through some scriptures. Write them down if you want. I want to, I want to tell you, Isaiah prophesied, 13, 6 to 9. He said, well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. They'll be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They'll be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They'll be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy sinners from it. That's Isaiah 13. He's prophesying a day that is going to come where those that have disobeyed God are going to pay for their rebellion. Now, let me just throw something out because I feel like I need to real quick. This isn't in my notes. Some people say, well, God's a God of love. Could he do that? Question is this. If you had a daughter and she was raped by somebody, in your own mind, in your own understanding, you would think, that person needs to pay for raping my daughter. You can say, oh, I'm going to forgive him. You can say all the different things you want. But you're going to come to a place you're going to understand that 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 has to be paid for. Okay, and that's why we have laws. That's why we have all these things going on. God is a just God. He always gives chances to, re- to repent. He always wants us to repent. But he even said all, ba- all the way back in the days of Noah, I wish I wouldn't have made these people. Because they're rebellious. Okay, so we live in that world. How many follow me so far? So this is coming. And it's right around the corner. And so what I want to break down tonight, and I want to share with you from these scriptures and studying and make it simple is, That tribulation period of seven years, the Bible says, is around the corner. But God says, and this is important, God says, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, for those who believe in his work on the cross, for those who've been denying themselves and denying ungodliness and looking for him and watching and praying, I'll get all to all this in a minute, laying it out elementary for you, for all those people who are seeking him and trying to find him and walking with him and walking as the bride, they're not going to have to go through that. And I'm going to prove that to you in the Bible. And and I I, want to say this. I was raised in a church where they preached what I'm talking about tonight. I thank God for it. But as you get older, you study things out for yourself. And even as a pastor and a Man of God and somebody who's preaching to people. I've labored over this because I said, God, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to teach people something that I don't understand. I don't want to, I don't want to take the risk of leading somebody in a, in a certain direction. And what you have to understand is today we live in a day where there's so much stuff that people get confused. So many beliefs. That's why there's so many denominations and so many religions. But it's never been God's intent. There can be a truth, but we have to take all the scriptures in. We have to take everything into account. 
You can't just read a scripture and say, there it is. Just bring it all in. So I began to pray and I began to labor. And I'm just going to throw this out real quick. And, and, and I don't, you know, it's always different beliefs and thoughts and things around. And I want you to just think. And, and wait till the end of the message before you make your conclusion. But you know that I believe from the scriptures, and I'm going to show you some things here tonight, that Jesus Christ is going to come back for his church, the bride, before the tribulation happens. Okay, before. And then when the tribulation starts, God will begin to deal with his people who's not the church, who are the Jewish people, his chosen people, who rebelled against him. He's going to give them a second chance. Okay? And what, why I say that is because you have all kinds of beliefs today. We know the tri- one thing we cannot argue is the tribulation is going to happen. There's no arguing that. That is going to happen. But you have people who believe pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and pan-trib. Guess what pan-trib is? It'll all pan out. Surely. I'm pre-trib. I'm pit most, post. I'm mid. I'm pan. I have a friend who says he's pan-trib. I don't want to be pan-trib. I want to be no-trib. I want to know what's going on. Amen? But as I go forward, quickly, I'm, I'm, I, I really, really, really know God wants me to preach this tonight. I really, really know that you're going to get something out of this. If you just pay attention. But I, there's a lot of people today that believe and preach and stand upon. Well, I shouldn't say a lot. I don't even know the number. That we will go as believers, as the church, through the tribulation. Okay? There's people who say that. And everybody can grab and say, well, this and that. And so I, I, I believe what I believe. But I said, God, I'm going to take a risk here. And I'm going to go to the other side. And I'm going to study from their side. I'm going to see what it is they're talking about. What is, why? Why do they think this? Why do they believe this? What's their thinking? And I'm going to be honest with you. I've had sleepless nights. I've had nights of sweating in my bed, waking up sweating. Because not only do I want to know this for myself, I'm leading people. And I want to make sure that I'm leading this in a way that everybody is going the right direction. Because I know that I have to give account to the God for this. So I'm not taking it lightly. And I can't even explain in my words how much I've labored on this. So I went to the other side and I began to read and I began to see what they believed. And I'm going to be honest with you. There was times of confusion. My mind got confused. Not because I doubted what I believed, but because I was trying to sit in their shoes and see where they were coming from. And I thank God that as I studied and studied and said, God, please give me a peace on this. Please let me know that I know that I know that this is the truth. And God gave it to me. And I'm going to show you it tonight. And the key is the triumphant bride of Christ. Okay, it's the key. How many like keys? How many like keys that open up doors? It's the bride. God showed me this. It's the bride. So people will say these different things. And I'm going to show you some types. How many know what a type is? A type is something that's in the Old Testament that we see in the New Testament. And they go off of each other. The Old Testament is the New Testament what? Concealed. The New Testament is what? The Old Testament revealed. Okay? So the Old Testament is a type 
of the future, the New Testament fulfills those things. And so things that are going to happen in the future are in the Old Testament as a type. So whatever happened in the Old Testament, it's going to happen in the New Testament. Write that down. That's good. Whatever happened in the Old Testament... It's going to be fulfilled in the New Testament. If God did something a certain way in the Old, He's going to do it that way in the New. There's no variance in Him. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, as I said this morning. So, God, watch this, will not judge the righteous with the unrighteous. That's a good thing to write down. God will not judge the righteous with the unrighteous. You might say, well, how do you know that? The Bible. That's the only thing I know. God had a plan. Give me, here's some examples for Noah and his family, for Abraham and for Lot. I'm going to give you some quick types, but again, write this down real quick. Eminence is key. Okay, how many are following me so far? Eminence is key. That means Jesus Christ can blow the trumpet at any moment and will be caught up in the air. At any moment. Nothing else needs to happen for him to come back for his church. And now we know, now the day we live in, that a lot of things had to be fulfilled. But do you know that all the way back to the book of the, of, of the Gospels, at that moment, those people were looking for Jesus' return? And there was even things written to the Thessalonians that Paul had to straighten up because some of them thought they'd missed the rapture. So all the way back, they always, why? Because Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. I come as a thief in the night. Watch, therefore, and pray. And so he gave these warnings. And so it's not just us in the 2014 church. They've always been looking for Jesus. And if you think about it, there's a reason why he did that is because he wants us to live a life that's ready. Not a life that's full of greasy grace. Where you just, I got my salvation card and I just live however I live because God loves me. And that's not what he's saying. He says, I want you to, you're my bride. I want you to keep clean. You take care of yourself. Won't you carry yourself in a way that's worthy of being married to the king? Here's a few verses to write down. I'm not going to go into them. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 are the three chapters that talk the most about the tribulation. And in those things, he says, he mentions all the time, we cannot know the day or the hour of Christ's return. Okay, now watch this. We cannot know the day or the hour. You got people setting times. You got people setting dates. May 21st, 2011 came and went. When that happened, I said, there's no way. I said, I guarantee you, he may come on the 20th, he may come on the 22nd. He's not coming on the 21st. He's not going to come the day that people say he's going to come. It's imminent. People are setting dates. But I do want to tell you this, and I've said this for anybody that's been coming to church here for any time, you know this. We cannot know the day, we cannot know the hour, but we can know the season. Pregnant people. I just came from the home church, like 15 ladies in the church pregnant. The home church. We've got new babies here. They give you a due date. Very rarely does it happen on that due date. But you know when you get close to the date. Those birth pains begin to happen. And when those birth pains begin to happen, you know any moment that baby will come. There's no warning. It happens. Water breaks, boom, into labor. Baby comes. Okay, but what we do know also off that with these signs and times is babies don't go past. Maybe a few days. But babies don't go months past their due date. They don't go years past their due date. Okay? And I believe, amen. And the women say amen. I, and the men say amen too. They got to gain that weight with them. But there's a point that says, okay, something's happening. We're there. And I believe that's where we're at. 
There's an example in Matthew 25. Again, write this down. We know the parable of the ten virgins. All virgins, all ten virgins had a lamp. They were all saved. They'd all put their faith in Christ. But not all ten were ready. Do you get that? Five were ready. Five were not. Five got busy with this world. Five got carried away with the things of this world. Five kept their eyes looking up. Five kept their clothes clean. That trumpet sounded. That groom came back. And they were not ready. And the door was shut. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, God, watch this, key verse, did not appoint us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a key verse. God, give me some key verses. God did not appoint us under wrath. You have to understand the tribulation period is God's wrath. The first three and a half years is Satan's play through the Antichrist. The second three and a half years is not anything to do with the devil. It's God pouring out his wrath. Now, again, you can go to hell over a mystery if you want. You can sit there and shake your fist at God and say, if God would do that, I don't want to love him. He he is going to do it. God is a God of love, but he's also a God that's a consuming fire. We don't respect God enough. Somebody say amen. And he will do what he says. You can argue with him all you want. You say, I don't, I don't like the alignment of those stars up there, God. And he'll say to you what he said to Job. Hey, were you there when I made them? You are not God to argue with him. You better understand what his word says. Have respect. It's like a child with a parent. Your parent says, hey, I said so. Well, I don't really agree, Dad. Well, I pay the bills. Right? I'm just trying to get you to understand the father relationship. Don't get caught in, oh, could God do that? He's going to do it. But he's not going to do it on people who love him. He has not appointed us under wrath. And as a matter of fact, he has a plan to get as many people out of the way before he pours it out. When that wrath comes down, it will not be on anybody who wants to be saved. It will be on people shaking their fist at God and rebellious. And you say, oh, is that spirit? Yes, it's in the devil. It started with him. And it's gone all throughout the lineage of the people. And it's here. People will shake their fist at God in hell. But this is going to happen. Another verse, key verse, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Y'all with me? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, listen... Who delivers us from the wrath to come. Key verse. What did Titus tell us? The blessed hope. Think about this for a second. As I go through this quickly, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm moving along. Think about this. What hope would we have? What hope would we? We'd be here tonight. Hey, guys, I just want to comfort you that pretty soon the tribulation is going to start. And uh, there's going to be 100 pound hailstones. And to one third of the sea is going to, you know, it's going to die. And then one third of the population is going to die. And then another third. And how would we be comforting each other with those words? What kind of hope would there be in that? The blessed hope is that Jesus Christ, the groom, is going to come for his bride and take them out before he sends his wrath. Oh, that ought to make you happy. Here's another key verse. I love key verses. Revelations 3.10. 
Before I read this, understand the book of Revelation 1, 2, 3 talks about the, the churches. There's seven churches mentioned. Doesn't mean there's just seven churches. It's seven examples. Some are past, some are present, some are future. And in those churches, he talks about the state. We heard the state of the union. This is the state of the church. He says, you do this good, you do this, you do this good, but... He talks about adulterous. He talks about losing your first love. He talks about, and then he gets to the two churches I want to talk about. One is Philadelphia. That's us. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's the church that's looking and watching and waiting. It's the church that's living a life that's without spot or wrinkle. Then he talks about the Laodicean churches, which is the other church that exists today. I hope it's not us. Which is the church that's lukewarm. Right. Which is the church you see all over the world today. That is a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. Right. And that church is the church who is going to be spit out of his mouth. Right. And out of those seven churches that John the Revelator talks about in Revelation, only two churches are in good standing. Philadelphia and Smyrna. Two out of seven. Yeah. Now I'm not making a doctrine out of this, but that's probably a pretty good number in my estimation of how many Christians are really ready for the return of Christ out of seven. Just throwing a number. I'm not, I'm not making a doctrine. Just an example. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to go to heaven. Jesus said, this road is narrow. We, li we live in a world that the gospel is preaching today. It's an easy road. It's a wide road. But God said, my word says to me that Jesus said the road to heaven is narrow. And the wide road is to destruction. You can claim it church and put the Bible on it and all those things. But he asked for works. He asked for a walk. He asked for righteousness. He asked for a church that's a bride that's looking for him. How many are with me so far? Here's the last key verse, Revelations 3.10. Because you've kept my command to persevere. Because you've kept my command to persevere. You know how many people have gotten saved and walked away, left and gone out and gone back to their old selves and, and not endured till the end? Because you've kept my command to persevere, he says, I will keep you. I will keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Key verse, tribulation. It's going to come. Am I going too fast, too slow? Those are key verses. Now get ready. Here's this, put your seatbelt on. Here's the good stuff. Key facts. Any moment. I can't take time for this. Matter of fact, I'm not going to because I've taught this so much here. These four things I have written down, if anybody wants to ask me later, I'll mention them later. I don't want to take time because I've taught you a lot of this. And I didn't, you know, the home church didn't know what they knew. I talked about Rabbi Kaduri. Remember him? Yeah. I talked about, obviously, the blood moons. Those are obvious that are going on. I talked about... Um, the fact, though I will say this, this is really important. We're in the United States, right? The Bible and God does not revolve around us. You cannot look at the Bible from a Western culture point of view. That is why, now watch this, these post-tribulation teachers... The majority of them are from the United States. Listen to this. The majority of them are from the United States. You know why? 
They say, well, we're the church and we have to go through tribulation. We haven't suffered like everybody. You know, we, we, the Bible says we'll suffer persecution and we haven't had any of that happen here. And they're thinking on a Western culture thing like the whole world in the Bible was written about us. Right. No. I told you this a couple Sundays ago. More people have died in this century for their faith than all the centuries put together since Jesus. There's definitely persecution and tribulation going on. We just aren't feeling it because of God's grace. Because we were a country that founded our nation on his word. Because we're a nation that has protected Israel. That's why we have not seen it. But it's going to come. Could come at any time. And it is coming. We're seeing all these things. Commandments taken out. All these things happening. We can't, you can't preach. You can't talk about anything. We're seeing this intolerance all the time. You can talk about any religion you want in school. But you can't mention Jesus. We're seeing it come upon our nation. But you must understand. To understand scriptures. The Bible was not revolving around the western culture of the United States. You get that? So we live in the year 2014. That's, that's our Gregorian calendar. We're not in the year 2014. You know what year we're in? Now, for the last month, we are in the year, watch this, 6,000. 6,000. On the Jewish calendar. That goes by moons. Y'all follow me? I, I know that some of these things you haven't heard and they're new, that's fine. This is a fact. Last year when I began to teach all this stuff... TorahCalendar.org, you can look at it. Torah Calendar says we were in the year 5999. And last month it flipped over. Now we're in the year 6,000. Anybody who knows anything about the Bible knows God created the earth in six days. Six days were for labor. The Bible says a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The six days of labor are over. One year's left. One day's left. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. What's left on this earth, not in heaven because we're going to live forever. What's left on this earth is the, what the Bible says, the millennial reign. One thousand years we will rule and reign on this earth. All you people who are in love of this world will be back. Okay? We'll be back. So, don't worry. Because we're so caught up with this world. I can't speak for you, but God, come right now. I'm out. I want to get out of here. I'm tired of this world. And I don't have anything going on wrong. I got a beautiful wife and beautiful kids. I live in a nice house. I'm out of here. I don't want this world no more. I'm tired of this world. So we're going to come back. All that's left is the tribulation period. It will lead us into the millennial reign. When you begin to study the scriptures, you see how amazing all this stuff is. In this year 6,000. Let me give you just a couple more things. How many give me five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. I ain't done that for a long time. I'll go over any of those things. Anybody would want any time. You can go listen to them online. You can listen to some of these messages and some of these things that the Lord has showed me. I thank God. But I want to show you something I haven't talked about yet. And it's quick. I'll make it quick. Jewish feasts. Is anybody in here? You can raise your hand. Has anybody got any, any knowledge on Jewish feasts? If you don't, it's fine. Good. Thank God. Okay, praise God. You might know a little. You're going to learn something tonight. This is good, Jose, huh? Pretty easy. I didn't know what it meant. 
because we're caught up in the Western culture. It doesn't mean that we got to go start wearing tunics and sandals and blowing the horn and doing all this stuff. You know, some people have gone a little bit too far to that extreme. We don't have to do all that. You can if you want, but it's not, God didn't ask us to. Matter of fact, Corinthians is very clear on that. Don't get caught up in those things. Don't judge each other for those things. But we do have to understand more of the Jewish culture than we do. Because that's God's people. We are his adopted children. We're the church. And for the 2,000 years we've been the church, but our time is ending. And I'm okay with that. Our time's coming to an end. And God's coming back to his people. But he cannot deal with us, sorry, with his people, with us here. He has to get the bride out the way. Everybody with me? Just write this down real quick. I'll make this super simple and super quick. There's seven Jewish main, main Jewish feasts that they celebrate and have celebrated all the way back to the book of Exodus. Number one, and you're going to recognize these, is Passover. I'm going to put a dash. If you're taking notes, write Passover and then a dash. You know that little thing that leads to another word? That was the crucifixion. Okay? Jewish feast, Old Testament, New Testament, concealed or revealed. Passover was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Second one, unleavened bread. That's a Jewish thing they've celebrated. Unleavened bread was Jesus Christ's burial. Okay? His death, his burial. First fruits. Another Jewish celebration. Dash, resurrection. We just celebrated that first fruits last week. His resurrection. How many are with me? Seven feasts. The fourth one. Let me, let, me go, let me go to five real quick and come back to four. No, let me go to four. Number four is now. Pentecost. The Jewish feast of Pentecost. That's when the church was born. That's where we are right now. We are in number four. Okay? There's three feasts left. Seven feasts. Watch this. The first three were spring feasts. Okay? They've already been fulfilled. Spring feasts. Death, burial, resurrection. This is simple. Number four was the church was born. There's three left. They're fall feasts. Fall. September, October, November. Fall. Coming. Not past. Okay? Y'all follow me? Church age is where we are now. Number five. The fall feast. Still to be fulfilled. The next one. Makes my hair stand up. It's the Feast of Trumpets. Does that sound like anything to you? At the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise. Rosh Hashanah. Blow the trumpet. Not the trumpet of the seventh trumpet of Revelation like the post-tribulationists believe. The last trumpet of a hundred. Ninety-nine will be blown. The hundredth will be blown and we'll be out of here. The rapture of the church will be take, take place and Jesus will take us home. And I know you're super thinking right now, so you missed the chance to be super excited right there. <laughs> Feast of Trumpets. Followed by six, atonement. Feast of Atonement. The Tribulation. Finally, Tabernacles. The Millennial Reign. Those are the things that are left to be fulfilled. Seven feasts. Three have been fulfilled. The fourth we're in. Three are to come. The next one is the rapture of the church. That's something to comfort each other with. At any moment, right now, Jesus is going to come back. 
He's not coming back for people that are not looking for him. He's coming back for a church that's clean and washed and not too busy with this world. Looking up because your redemption draws nigh. Anybody getting anything? Okay, I'm going to finish with this, okay? But I'm going to run through it quick. I took a little longer at the home church. I didn't even get to the type shit. I'm going to run through them real quick. Genesis 5, 24. The Bible says Enoch was walking and he pleased God and was no more. Rapture. Old Testament type. Enoch was walking, just walking, pleasing God and out of here. He was gone. He was no more. He didn't didn't go to another place like Philip did. He was gone and he's never been found again. He's gone. He was raptured. It's the Old Testament type of the New Testament. And he was, he, he, this happened where Methuselah was born, was, was, was talked about the fact that Methuselah means judgment. And he uh, lived to be 900 years, but before, as soon as he died, the, the flood happened. Okay? So all this happened in, 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 a, in, a, in a passing of time. And this type shows us that as Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him, was the first rapture in the Bible. Watch this quickly. Noah and his family. Noah and his family were warned that the flood was coming. They built the ark, and when the flood came, they were in the ark, and they were taken away in the ark, and the flood came and destroyed the earth. They were taken. Okay? Those who believed. And just like the rapture of the church is going to happen, and people are going to, after the raindrops began to fall, and they said, oh, wow, it is going to rain, they were knocking on the door, but the door was shut. And no one else got in. Let me tell you something. When the tribulation starts, people are going to be wishing they would have been ready. I can't even explain to you what it's going to be like. I'm not even going to get into that. That's not this message. Read the book of Revelation. Lot was taken out before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And God would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah till he was what? taken out he was removed these are types of the rapture Moses this is really good Moses is one of the best types of Christ in the Bible okay amazing type of Christ this is powerful how many know Moses married a Gentile bride okay Moses married a Gentile bride that was a type that God sorry Jesus Christ would marry the church Gentile undeserving bride I'm going to write this down in your notes real quick I wish I had more time Moses on Mount nobody gave me more time so I guess I'll run through it I was waiting for someone to say go ahead don't worry about it Moses on Mount we're too busy we've got to go to work Moses on Mount Sinai is a foreshadow of the rapture I'm going to read this let's see if this sounds like 1 Thessalonians Exodus 19.17-20 and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God They stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded louder and longer and louder and became clearer and louder, Moses spoke. God answered him by voice. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up foreshadow 
of the rapture. See, you have to understand the Old Testament. Some people, and I'm, I'm guilty. I didn't used to read the Old Testament. How many else would be honest with me tonight? Say, I didn't like the Old Testament very much. Some of you might say, I still don't like it. You better start liking it. Now, I know there's some things in there that, you know, you, you still have to study, but they don't make sense. My brother-in-law sent me a box this week and said, man, I'm in Deuteronomy. I got a million questions. <laughs> He's a new convert. Even though Israel Mo and Moses, his people, suffered persecution, okay, not tribulation, persecution, they were taken out, watch this, they were taken out of it, of the danger, before the Red Sea closed. Okay? They suffered persecution. Like you might not be suffering like but the world is suffering persecution right now for Jesus. And when they were being chased, the Red Sea closed in on those that were rebellious and they were taken through to the promised land. Another type. Okay? I'm going to have to go through, I'm going to have to push through these and finish with, with something that I wanted to finish with. Now I talk about persecution. You've got Rahab. You've got Joseph, another type of Christ. He married a Gentile bride. We're the undeserving Gentile bride of Jesus Christ. Okay? Jeremiah 37 says Jacob's trouble's coming where he's going to deal with his people. Okay, that's what the 70th week of, of Revelation is. First three chapters talk to the church. Fourth chapter of Revelation, God says, come up, John. And John goes up. That's a picture of the rapture. Church is not mentioned again until Revelation 19. Okay? Six, five through, through 18 is the tribulation. The church is not mentioned. The church. Saints are mentioned, but not the church. Okay? Finally. Back to the beginning, I said, the triumphant bride of Christ. Watch this. To understand the rapture, not the second coming of Christ. To understand the rapture, you have to understand the bride. Okay? The rapture is when Jesus takes the church out. Then the tribulation starts. It's for anybody that's lost. After the tribulation ends, Jesus comes back to earth to rule and reign. When he comes back in the second coming, his feet touch the ground. In the rapture, he comes down in the air and we go up. He does not come down to earth. Some people say there's no silent rapture. There's no secret rapture. It's not going to be a secret when millions of people disappear. Not a secret. They're not going to see it. It's all kinds of differences between the rapture and the second coming. Not going to go into those. But you've got to understand. When he comes back, Revelation 19 says another key verse. We, the church, are behind him on horses, the army of God. We come down with Jesus. Amen. For us to be able to come down with Jesus, we have to be up there. Yep, that's right. Okay? Have to be there to be able to come down. Read that later. Finally, Jewish marriage ceremony. This is what God really showed me is the key to understanding the triumphant bride of Christ is the key to understand the rapture. Jewish custom. Watch this. Write this down in your notes. Number one. Okay, first of all, in Jewish marriage, I'm going to run through this real quick. Christ is the bride. Groom, we're the bride. Okay? Number one, in a Jewish wedding custom, the selection happens. The groom chooses the bride. John says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. First John says, I loved you. I, I love you. So he said, we love you because you first loved us. 
Okay, we the Gentiles, anybody who's not Jewish, we the church have been chosen by Jesus. Chosen to live in these 2,000 years. So we've been chosen. That's the selection. That's the first sign or first step in a Jewish wedding. Number two, there's a price paid for the, for the, for the, for the ceremony. There's, we don't understand this in the Western culture. But we have a lot of churches in Africa. It's called a dowry. I wish they had it here. My daughter's starting to court somebody now, and I wish they had dowries in the United States so I could get some money. It's true. The, the, the groom has to pay to get the bride. I think it's an awesome thing. We got it totally jacked up in the United States that we, I, the father, have to pay for the wedding. That's whack. Jacked up, dumb, I don't agree. We, I'm, matter of fact, I'm changing it. Amen. My father, future, her future father-in-law has been to Africa. We're going to go back to that. Okay? But there's a price to be paid. You want my bride? There's a price. What's the price? Jesus' life for the church. He gives his life. Second part. Third, an engagement. That's different than our culture. Engagement first, then you talk later. No, there's the price is paid first. Then the engagement happens. In the Jewish wedding, the engagement happens. Listen, and while we get engaged to Jesus Christ is when we confess him as Lord. We accept. That's why we say, Lord, I accept what you've done on the cross for me. That's when we're putting on the engagement ring. Not the marriage. We're saying, Jesus, I believe you paid the price for me. I believe you're the groom and I'm the bride. I accept you as Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And when we do that, we accept him. And now, right now, we are engaged to Jesus Christ. We're not married to him yet. Right now, we're engaged. We're in the fourth part. We're the church. We're, the, we're in the, we're in the uh, uh, Pentecost. We're the church. We're waiting and watching for our bride. Number four, cup of covenant. They, take, they would take a drink. They would take wine and they would drink it together as an acceptance that they were now engaged. Does that sound like anything? Communion. This is my cup of the new covenant of my blood, which I've shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is, all these things I'm telling you happen in a Jewish wedding. And you relate it to the church. But we're too Western culture to understand it. Number five, the groom would give the bride gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts that we've had for 2,000 years that we've used as the church to remain the bride, to stay clean, to get other people saved, to make the church large. We've been given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Here's the key. I just want to end with this. Number six, here's the coolest part. What happens next is the groom departs. And he goes, watch this, to prepare a place for his bride. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that awesome? This is a Jewish wedding. The groom leaves and he goes to prepare a place. And you've heard the words, I don't know. The angels don't know. Only my father in heaven knows. Because in a Jewish wedding, he goes to prepare the place. He goes to prepare the chamber that they're going to consummate the wedding in. And he cannot return for his bride until the father says it looks right. It's ready. Then the groom returns when the father says things are ready. But watch this. It's an unexpected return. Oh, this makes my hair stand up. It's an unexpected return. Why? Because he wants to make sure that his bride is watching and waiting for him. He wants to make sure that while he was away and tarrying, if you've heard that word, heard it my whole life, if the Lord tarries, 
If the Lord tarries. We live our life like that. Well, I mean, hey, next week he could come. Tomorrow he could come. If he tarries. And so that bride would wait. The father would probably wait. Hey, let's wait a little longer. If she's really, you paid a heavy price for this bride. If she really loves you, she'll be ready when you come back. Now he wasn't trying to catch her off guard. Okay, don't get that wrong. He wasn't trying to wait till she wasn't ready. He wants to marry her. Oh, that was good right there. He wants to, because some people think that God's waiting to just, you know, I'll catch him off guard. No, that's not it. He's wanting to see that we have understood the price he's paid for us. And he says, okay, go. The groomsmen go ahead. The groomsmen go ahead and they announce with trumpets that the, bride, the groom is coming. And the bride has to get her clothes on and get ready. So when he's there, she's ready. That's the parable of the five virgins. Some were ready, some weren't. And when he comes, she's got to be ready to go. Church today, right now, looking, watching, waiting for that unexpected at any moment return of Jesus Christ. Number seven, Jewish wedding. There's a consummation. The consummation of the marriage. The wedding ceremony is not going to take place on this earth. It's going to happen in heaven. It all makes sense, doesn't it? Watch this. Here's the amazing thing. Guess how long the consummation is in a Jewish wedding? Seven days. Seven years of tribulation. We're in heaven consummating our marriage to the groom, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. We're celebrating that marriage with him. I'm going to give you one more key verse. This is, I've never seen this verse before. And there's a lot more in the Bible I probably haven't seen. Write this down. I'm finishing Isaiah 26, 19 to 21. You know what's so important about this? If Jesus comes back tomorrow, you don't got to go work anyways. Some of y'all caught that. It's true. So we need to get this because you might need to call someone after church. Say, hey, you ready? Isaiah 26, 19 to 21. Watch this. I hope you look at this. This is amazing. It's so amazing. You can study the word for so long and still find new things. Not that they're not there. You know when you heard the word revelation? It doesn't mean it's new. It's just new to you. It's new to me. Light bulb comes on. You there? Isaiah 26. 19 to 21. See if this sounds familiar. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, underline this, enter your chambers. And shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it is, sorry, as it were, for a little moment. Until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. What's the key to that verse? Chamber. Come into the chamber while the indignation passes. God has not appointed his church, the bride, to wrath. Musicians, you can come, but don't shut me off. Powerful. 
powerful, powerful, powerful revelation, powerful understanding of the Jewish culture, these verses begin to make sense. Another last and final key verse. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1 to 3, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God. Let me ask one more time. How many believe here tonight? He says, believe also in me. Watch this. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. The chamber. The consummation. And he says, and I will come again. Watch this. And receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Now common sense tells you. Don't shut me off these last two minutes. Common sense tells you. If he's gone to prepare a place for us. And the post-tribulation rapture theory is true. When do we ever go to heaven to see that chamber he built for us? Because if that's true, it's post-tribulation. If the tribulation starts, for those that don't know, it'll be with a peace treaty. Once that peace treaty starts, that has never been able to happen yet, and we're talking about it all the time, could happen at any moment. Once that peace treaty starts, the seven years start. If we go through the tribulation, all of us go through it, I'm wrong. The scriptures are wrong. We misunderstand the bride and all this stuff we're talking about. Then we're going to go through the tribulation. Okay? We go through it. The end of the tribulation. How many are still with me? End of the tribulation is happening. Which it's hard to picture. That we'll be here. Because the first three and a half years, the Antichrist comes on the scene. And he's killing anybody who professes Christ. By beheading them. It's in the Bible, so you can read it. So Christians are dying, gone, 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 gone. What Christians? People who are left behind. People who did not believe, but believe later. Maybe you've told someone for years about Jesus, and they never believed. But in the tribulation, they remember your words, and they know they cannot take the mark of the beast. Y'all still with me? So that's going on. Tribulation's going on. Not take time for it. 100-pound hailstones are coming down. Now we're in the wrath of God. 100-pound hailstones are coming third of the population dies, another third of the population dies. Satan himself is released from heaven and the fallen angels to the earth in a physical form. You think it's bad now? He's coming physically to embody the body of the Antichrist. And in the middle of the tribulation, he will stand up in the temple that right now is going to be built very quickly because everything that needs to be built is sitting in in a warehouse on the temple mount right now. Priests have been practicing for years. Jewish rabbis, sorry, have been practicing for years to go all the customs once they build the temple back. And that will happen. It won't take long to construct it. It'll happen as soon as the, as the tribulation starts. That temple will be built. The Jews will be there. They'll be doing their thing. In the middle of the tribulation, at three and a half years, the Antichrist will embody that person who now today is alive will physically embody him, walk into the temple. If you've ever heard the word, the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist stands up in the temple and says, I am God. That's the abomination of desolation. When he does that, God says, oh no. 
You know, I'm just making that little carnal tonight. You know, like, we're like, oh, no. Mm-mm. That's when God says, no, 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 no. Y'all follow me? That's when the second half of the tribulation starts, which is God's wrath. So if we are still here somehow, going through all that, then the rapture happens at the end, and it says those who are alive and remain, if you look at the scriptures, there's not going to be a whole lot of people left. Now again, you can say, well, I don't believe that. Two-thirds of the population is going to be gone. There's seven billion people in the world. A lot of people are going to die. I'm not trying to be bad, bear bad news. It's the fact. It's written in the book. I'm just a doctor telling you the prognosis. So if there was anybody left alive after all this wrath of God, I'd be hard to be comforting each other for one. You know, hey, you doing good? Torn up, bleeding, you know, heads knocked half open from a hundred pound hailstone, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm serious, okay? Those who are alive and remain will be caught up, okay? So if it's at the end, then we're caught up in the air as Jesus is coming down. And we quickly, and not that God can't do it, we quickly are married, get our crowns, get our clothes, and then hop on a horse and come back down with him to the earth. When did we ever go up to the chamber that he's been preparing for us that he said, I will go take you to there. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm just doing that elementary to get you to understand. It can't happen at the end. Y'all with me? I go and prepare a place for you that where I be, you will be also. I have been married 20 years. Many of you have a wife or a husband here. I can't imagine being engaged to my wife when I asked my father-in-law for her hand and then before we got married, I took her and I dragged her through hell, dragged her through tribulation, dirtied up her gown, and then said, Father-in-law, is it cool we still get married? It's not, this doesn't make sense. God gave us some common sense, if you look at all the scriptures. So we're there. We're there. There's so much more to go over, but I wanted to get that out tonight. And the last word is this for you tonight. Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. Those are good words. But not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is going to be ready because they love this world more than they love God. They're too busy doing other things than to keep their garments clean and be watching and waiting. He says it won't come upon you as a thief if you're watching. Every day I wake up and I say, God, it could be today. I say these words, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Bow your heads tonight.